0: We're reading tonight from uh, John chapter 4, verses 1 through to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised by his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when that you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All
1: right, let's pray. Dear God, be with us as we dive deeper into this section of John's Gospel. Prepare us to receive your word and guide us to grow into deeper relationship with you that you would quench our spiritual thirst and be our sustainer. Amen. So, for the last four years, I've been working as a plumber in Cairns. And so, to survive being a tradie in Cairns, you need to be drinking a lot of water. It's quite ridiculous how much water you've got to be drinking, and quite often it is (laughs) being lost from your body a lot faster than it's going back in. Now, people are always really surprised to find out that plumbers do work on roofs. Um, I think the usual response I would get from this is, what, why do you do that? And to be completely honest, this is what I was asking myself every time I was on a roof. Why am I doing this? Uh, It's not because it's fun, Um, it's really hot, (laughs) and I don't even really like heights either. And your back's aching and your legs are cramping, and there's no amount of triple M that can help you get through that. But so one day, there I am, trying to replace all the roof screws on the roof, and it was a really hot day. So thankfully for me, I'd arranged for Caleb Furon to come and give me a hand, and when he showed up, I don't think I've ever been more glad to see him. So I made sure I prepared really well for this day. I'd lined up Caleb, and I had my five-liter drink bottle filled with icy cold water. So I'd do a bit of a section, and I'd stop and have some water and rest a bit, and then I'd keep going. Caleb, however, was not as prepared and showed up without any water. So, being the great friend that I am, I was saying, you know what, you can use my water and if you need to stop, just stop. All I could picture was just looking up and seeing Caleb pass out and fall off the roof. Thankfully, however, he didn't. Uh, But about three quarters of the way through, we were on Struggle Street. The sun was hot, water was low and we were just constantly dripping sweat onto the roof. So in my wisdom, I sent Caleb to go to the closest corner shop and get us some power aids, um, and that got us through to the end of the day. And so once we finished around lunchtime, we had to celebrate with some KFC. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of you may have similar stories. Maybe you weren't on a roof. Maybe Caleb wasn't there. And it might not have ended with KFC. But stories of when you were so dehydrated and really in need of water. But that's just our physical thirst, right? In this passage, we're looking at spiritual thirst. And I wonder, do we even know how to quench that? Or are we just continually chasing after the next thing to try and satisfy us? So we'll be exploring this tonight through my three points, a thirsty nation, a thirsty woman, and a thirsty culture. A thirsty nation. So before we get into chapter 4... I just want to have a quick recap of what happens at the end of chapter 3. So to set the scene, John the Baptist testifies to who Jesus is um, as some discussion has arisen about his rising popularity. So John makes the radical statement, he must become greater, I must become less. And this is where we pick things up in chapter 4. In the first three verses of the chapter we read that Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining popularity and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. But why? Why would Jesus leave Judea when he is gaining popularity and more people are being baptised? His ministry is succeeding, so why leave? And that's where it's important to remember the interaction between John the Baptist and his disciples in the previous chapter. Division is already arising amongst John's disciples. They aren't happy that Jesus is gaining popularity instead of John. And so when Jesus learns that now the Pharisees are aware of this, he leaves. Because the Pharisees, like John's disciples, also did not want Jesus' ministry to be succeeding... And they would likely be fueling the division that was already there. So Jesus leaves Judea out of his love for John and his love for John's ministry. And so now we see Jesus leave Judea and head through Samaria. Verses 4 to 9. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, my Bible has a note that says, Or do not use dishes Samaritans have used. So we see Jesus leave Judea, travel through Samaria, and ask a Samaritan woman for a drink. So I did a little bit of research, and Jesus travelled 48 kilometres. So that's the equivalent of leaving here at church, going past Smithfield, past Quara Beach, past Palm Cove, past Ellis Beach, not quite getting to Port Douglas, but you could find yourself at the Oak Beach Boathouse. Now, I've never been there myself, but I'm sure if I just travelled 48 kilometres on foot, I'd be pretty keen for a drink too. But the Samaritan woman is not very forthcoming at all, is she? And we we have to realise that there's something deeper going on. There's an underlying cultural tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And if we miss this, and if we don't recognise the significance of this cultural tension then we miss what is so radical about the interaction that Jesus is about to have. So what's going on? Why is there such a divide between the Jews and the Samaritans? Well, here is how Don Carson, an evangelical biblical scholar and commentator, describes the situation. After the Assyrians captured Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 to 21 BC, they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. After the exile of the southern kingdom in Babylon, Jews returning to their homeland viewed the Samaritans not only as children of political rebels but as racial half-breeds, her religion was tainted and various unacceptable elements. About 400 BC, the Samaritans erected a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. So we have ethnic, racial, and religious issues here that made Jews feel disdained for the Samaritans. They were ceremonially unclean, they were racially impure, they were religiously heretical, therefore they were avoided. So what does this look like for us today? Because... When we come to this passage, we want to feel the tension, don't we? And I don't think we have to look far in our culture today either, do we, for division. So I found an article called The Most Controversial Topics, and here are a few that are listed. Abortion, religious freedom, COVID vaccines, capitalism, climate change, evolution, marriage equality, immigration reform, Trump, transgender rights wage, white supremacy, Black Lives Matter, cancel culture and universal healthcare. Now, you might be able to think of more, but that's quite the list, isn't it? However, I don't believe that any of these are as divisive as the tension that we feel between these two cultures. I think it's safe to say that even if we felt like we had real tension with someone of a differing view, we wouldn't turn down a dish that they had used or if they were thirsty, we wouldn't refuse to give them a drink of water. There is such a divide between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it's clearly not what God would have intended for His people. And when we come to this passage, we see the idolatry of the Samaritans mirrored through the idolatry of the woman at the well. So, my next point, a thirsty woman. Here she is, it's about noon, which was not the common time for women to be drawing water from the well, and unbeknownst to her, the Son of God has just travelled 48 kilometres from Judea and is asking her for a drink, and she's blatantly turned him down. And so, Jesus responds, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Jesus says, If you would have recognised who I was you would have recognized your own thirst and you would have been asking me for a drink and I would have given you living water. And this really throws the woman through a loop, doesn't it? She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. She's probably thinking, how can he give me living water when he can't even draw water out of this well? And so she goes on to ask Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? She's missed the point, hasn't she? It's like Nicodemus asking, how can I go back into my mother's womb? She's recognised that if Jesus could offer living water, then he would have to be greater than Jacob. However, she hasn't recognised that Jesus is in fact far greater than Jacob. And she's also missed the point about what Jesus was saying about living water. Now, If Jesus had have made this statement to Nicodemus in the previous chapter, I believe that Nicodemus would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Well, why's that? Because the Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Old Testament, which were the five books of Moses, which made up the Jewish law, the Torah. So any other books or writings they considered not of God and rejected their legitimacy... So why would the Jews have understood better than the Samaritans? Well, the prophet Jeremiah, whose legitimacy was recognized by the Jews, records the heart of God towards his people in chapter 2. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Verse 13, they have forsaken me. The spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, in the time of Jeremiah, God's people had turned away from God, and God says, "Why did you leave me? I am the spring of living water, and you have left me to dig your own cisterns, like these wells in the ground, and they didn't even hold water." The people of God were saying to each other, "Sure, like God's there." but let's do our own thing, let's do our own cisterns and put our own water in them, and it's going to be great. And God's saying, why would you leave me for your own cisterns that cannot even hold water? And that's what we see the Samaritans doing, isn't it? They leave God for other gods and other idols, worshipping the things of man, trying to quench their deep spiritual thirst, but they keep coming up empty. Now, how much more do we do this today? See, unlike the Samaritan woman, we have Jesus. We have His grace. We have His death and resurrection on the cross. And we can receive His Spirit. Yet we still dig our own cisterns. Cisterns that cannot even hold water. Every time we turn to our work or financial status or sex or alcohol or fitness or other people... For our meaning and purpose in life, we're rejecting God, the spring of living water. Now, Dan Allender is a Christian therapist, author, professor, and speaker focusing on sexual abuse and trauma recovery. In a documentary called The Heart of Man, he makes this reflection The most unexplainable reality in the universe is how can you have everything and simply want something else you've been told not to get? That's madness. You've got billions of dollars and you sell your soul for a quarter you see on the ground. To try and explain that, all we can say is God gave freedom to love and without the choice to say no, there's no meaning to saying yes. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing in verses 13 and 14, isn't it? He says, everyone who drinks from this well is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them, they will never thirst and they will become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. He's saying to the woman, you keep coming to this well because you continue to thirst. Her thirst is never satisfied. And for us, when we turn to our own broken systems, how often do they truly satisfy us the way we are wanting them to? So I want to pause here and paint a picture. This isn't based on anyone I know, but I think it is a far too common reality in our culture shows us how deeply spiritually thirsty we are. So last month, you were awarded Employee of the Month. However, now you can feel your boss and co-workers getting more and more frustrated with you and your constant asking for their affirmation on your work and if they're approving of it. You're crippled with the anxiety that this month's performance won't be to the same standard as last month's. And in your fight for the approval of others, you are constantly saying yes to things and not wanting to let anyone down. Inevitably you let down the people closest to you and stretch so thin you can't even do the things you want to do to the best of your potential it's far too easy to see ourselves in this story isn't it chasing after the approval of others yet crippled with anxiety and failing to do the very things that we've set out to do when it comes to our spiritual thirst what does jesus tell us he says i am bringing water that will never stop giving satisfaction He doesn't leave us fighting for his approval. His well will never run dry, and he will never leave us wanting. And I wonder when God looks at us turning to our broken cisterns, if he is still asking, What fault have you found in me? So the Samaritan woman goes on to respond by asking Jesus to give her the water so she won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the well. She still misses the point, doesn't she? So Jesus decides to come from another angle. Verse 16. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. She responds, I have no husband. And then Jesus reveals that he knows this. In fact, he knows that she's actually had five husbands and the person she's with now is also not her husband. He says to her, what you have said is quite true. So why does Jesus do this? It's quite the change of pace and comes across quite abrupt. Like, was this just a cultural thing and Jesus is implying that her husband would have understood better than her because she's a woman? Well, no, because Jesus knew she didn't have a husband. And so as we continue to go through these verses, we see that Jesus is doing this to lead to a further unfolding of the truth. And what this does is actually by pointing out the unmet needs of the woman. Now, it's not known why the woman has had five husbands, whether it is due to unfaithfulness or divorce or she's been widowed. Perhaps she's barren and then the men in her culture have left her to the side because she can't fall pregnant. But for whatever reason, she has had five husbands, that there is clearly unmet desires here, isn't there? So how does she respond to this? Well, the same way that any of us in our culture today would. She gets extremely defensive. <laughs> Jesus has brought up something that probably brings her great shame, and so she gets defensive. She recognizes Jesus as some form of a prophet, but says, well, look, I see you're a prophet, but, you know, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, in the temple. That's slightly paraphrased, but that's what she's saying, isn't it? She says, sure, I might not have a great track record, but if you're a true prophet... Then why do you say that we must worship in Jerusalem? She puts it back on Jesus as if he's the one with the problem. And don't we see that in our culture today? We can't stand our flaws being pointed out or admitting that we aren't perfect and can't earn our way into heaven. So then, well, we hunt the problem, Jesus is. We open our Bibles and read the clear convictions of our sin. And we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit prompting our hearts to be less greedy and not just consumers or basing our value and self-worth on relationships or Facebook and Instagram likes. But we are far too quick to come to our own aid and justify ourselves. Well, everyone else has the iPhone 13 Plus. So does it matter if I upgrade my perfectly fine 11 for the standard 13? Oh... I don't really care about how many likes or follows I have. I just want to keep checking my Facebook to see how my posts are doing. John Piper, a terrific Christian author, preacher, and theologian, says in his book, The Fight for Joy, the idols of the nations are the work of human hands. Make and trust a blind idol and you become blind. And so our hearts and our affections are formed by these things. Computers, cars, appliances, entertainment, media... They seem to fit the shapes in our hearts. They feel good in the tiny spaces that they have made. But in this readiness to receive pleasure from things that are ill-shaped, we are ill-shaped for Christ. He seems unreal, unattractive, and the eyes of our hearts grow dull. So we've seen how Israel became a spiritually thirsty nation and how the woman at the well was in the same way spiritually thirsty. And we live in a spiritually thirsty culture, don't we? So let's see how Jesus responds. A thirsty culture. So first, Jesus immediately shuts down the woman's statement about worship. The place of worship was another issue which caused great divide amongst the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus says to the woman, There is a time coming when you won't have to worship on the mountain nor in Jerusalem, so don't be concerned about the where. Verses 22 and 23 you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus is saying, Don't worry about the where, but the how. He says, You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. So what books of the Old Testament did the Samaritans have? They had the verse 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Well, Genesis 49 verse 10 says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This verse, all the way back in Genesis, is telling Israel that God's Messiah, the saviour of his people, will come from the tribe of Judah, which was part of the southern kingdom of Israel. So Jesus is making it very plain to the woman that the Samaritans should have known better. They should have remembered this passage. And so the woman realises what Jesus is saying and acknowledges in verse 26 that God's Messiah is coming and will explain everything to them once he comes. And this leads to the very powerful declaration from Jesus... I, the one speaking, I am He. Imagine the impact this would have had on the woman. All the searching of her heart, all the unquenched thirst that she's been seeking to quench. Jesus says, here I am, the one you have been searching for, I have come to bring you living water. And how does she respond to this? She accepts it. And then she goes on to tell the whole village and many more of the Samaritans received the living water from Jesus. As a spiritually thirsty culture, how do we experience Jesus now? How do we know that we are worshipping right? So Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the worshippers will worship the Father and the Spirit and the truth. And we are living in this time, aren't we? We can worship God as our Father through the Holy Spirit in which Jesus gives to us. But how can we be sure? Well Revelation twenty two verse seventeen says The Spirit and the bride say come, and let the one who hears say, 'Come,' Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. How do we receive the free gift of the water of life from Jesus? By simply coming. Coming to Jesus and accepting Him as Lord of our lives and Savior of our souls. Now, we can't experience Jesus in the flesh as the woman at the well did. So, how do we meet Him? Well, oh, by humbly coming to Him in prayer and reading His Word. And He is still there to meet our deepest needs and desires. Jesus quenches our deepest longings. If you're longing for deep connection, Jesus will meet you there. If you're wanting to experience real rest from trying to fill your broken systems with the things of the world, Jesus will give you rest. And if you want treasures, well, Jesus offers us the most glorious treasures in heaven. See, Jesus doesn't just top up our broken systems whenever they get low or getting close to empty, Jesus comes in place of our broken systems. And so I wonder who else in our lives needs to be hearing this. Who else needs to know that they can stop digging, they can stop searching, and they can come to Jesus and receive this free gift of living water? Let's be like the Samaritan woman, that when she receives the living water from Jesus, it just overflows in her that she can't help but tell others about it. Let's not just be content with the fact that we've received living water from Jesus. So let's be praying this week about who we can invite to receive this incredible, free, life-giving gift. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, thank You for sending us Your Son so that we could receive living water through Him. Thank You that we don't need to continue digging our own systems that leave us wanting, but that we can come to You and have our deepest desires met Jesus, this week be showing us the people in our lives who are spiritually thirsty and longing for your living water. Let us be a light to them that they would come to know you and experience your love. Amen.